Episode 1. In this episode, we will introduce the Center for Supply Chain Research at Penn State and briefly touch on 2020, the year your family finally understands what you do for a living. So let's go. From the nation's leading supply chain university program, we welcome you to the Penn State Supply Chain Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Supply Chain Research. Here are your hosts, Steve Tracy and Irv Grossman. Welcome to the Penn State Podcast. I'm Irv Grossman with Chainalytics, and along with me today is Steve Tracy. Hi, Irv. Uh, This is Steve Tracy. I am a uh, professor of practice here in the Department of Supply Chain Information Systems in the Smeal College of Business at Penn State University. I'm also the executive director of Penn State Executive Programs, which is our not-for-credit arm of education in the college, as well as the Center for Supply Chain Research. We're going to talk a little bit about the podcast where this is the first one. We're kind of a warm-up act to a series that we'd like to talk about, introduce the CSCR. But mainly our objectives of this podcast is to tap into the knowledge and experience of the CSCR, Center for Supply Chain Research, and their sponsors, become familiar with the Supply Chain and Information Systems Department at Penn State, introduce the CSCR and all its capabilities, share insights and intelligence from what is considered the best university supply chain programs, and to provide listeners actionable, practical insights that they could put to work inside their organizations. So we have some heavy lifting ahead of us, Steve. We do. So I, I want to talk about, before we get started with the center itself, is talk about Penn State's supply chain department, um, supply chain information systems department. I'm a, a 1985 graduate in business logistics. The name has changed you know, since then and has evolved. So can you tell us a little bit about the department? Sure. So our department, as the name would imply, is supply chain and information systems. And it's been that way now for close to 20 years, perhaps uh, slightly a bit longer. Uh, as you point out, Irv, you were a graduate of the business logistics program, and uh, we did have a department of business logistics back when when you and I were both in school. Right. Uh, what changed was, so the term supply chain itself was a consulting term that was first coined back in the late 1980s uh, in a paper by, by one of the prominent consulting firms. And uh, it caught on, and then the, the concept really was that Uh, the supply chain is really a combination of uh, a lot of different operating elements within a business. Um, It's not just about the business logistics function. It includes procurement and manufacturing and and sourcing and and many other things, right? And so that was recognized by industry and started to become uh, more well adopted in the the 1990s. Around the late 1990s, uh, universities, Penn State and Michigan State being two of the leaders in that area, decided to uh, uh, redefine their curriculum around the idea of a supply chain. They, they redid their, their entire curriculums. They combined uh, organizations within their colleges. In our particular case, we combined management information systems, which today is primarily focused on data analytics. Uh, it used to be more focused on, on hard, hardware and software, but, but uh, now it, it's mo- mostly focused on data analytics as well as uh, operations management and business logistics to create the Department of Supply Chain and Information Systems. Uh, today, 20 plus years later, it is the uh, largest department at SMEAL by uh, faculty and by student enrollment. We have the, uh, the third largest major because we have two majors, Supply Chain and Management Information Systems. So Supply Chain is the third largest major. And to put that in perspective, uh, SMEAL College of Business at Penn State 
is one of the largest undergraduate uh, business schools in the country by enrollment. So uh, definitely in the top top five. And so that's important to, to re- recognize. Some of our peer institutions are names you would recognize. Uh, Michigan State, as I mentioned earlier, University of Tennessee, and uh, Arizona State out west. But, you know, those are kind of our, our peer schools that we... Yeah, and, and when I say peer, I, I mean that in the truest sense, right? They are, they are very similarly structured, um, have excellent faculty, are fairly large programs like we are. But over the last uh, probably 10 years... Uh, the number of supply chain programs, uh, both in the United States and globally, has exploded. So back when Gartner started doing their rankings uh, of the programs uh, back in 2007, 2008, there weren't even 25 programs to rank. Now there are uh, well over 100. So the the discipline itself has exploded. Uh, in terms of our faculty, um, I mentioned that we are the largest department. We have the largest faculty in our department in the college and one of the largest in supply chain in the world. Uh, we're also privileged to have two of the top uh, 50 research professors, uh, Dr. Dan Guide and Dr. Kevin Linderman, in our department in the world in operations management. So uh, it's a pretty impressive group, very well respected in our research, um, and we graduate a lot of very successful students to wonderful firms. And Penn State still keeps its ranking up there as the top in Gartner survey. And uh, although the, the crowd has become a lot larger to compete against, what do you think keeps it at its uh, at its top? Well, some of it is experience, right? So if you've if you've been in the game longer than others and have a history and a track record, that's part of it. Innovation plays a, a big part, right? So constantly innovating the curriculum, um, as you mentioned, you know we are today the the number three ranked uh, undergraduate program by Gartner and the uh, the number one ranked in the graduate area by Gartner. But if you look at other rankings, um, we are always in the top five, whether it's, you know, Financial Times or Business Week or U.S. News and World Report or, or whomever you want to refer to, each of those has their own different perspective. You know, universities, uh, I can't say that they all don't, but they shouldn't chase rankings. That's not an end, end objective. That's an outcome, right? So if you do all the right things that you're supposed to do as a discipline, if you're constantly innovating, if you're keeping up with both curriculum and technology and delivery, if you're recruiting the best and brightest students and you're graduating the uh, the most successful professionals, you're going to retain your ranking. So rankings are an outcome. They're not an objective. One of the ad- advantages of becoming a sponsor here at the CSCR is having a front seat in recruiting. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but it always seems to be a really, I would say, a sold out situation for for graduates with a high placement rate, which is which is really a, a good result for those students that attend the, the university and the program. Yeah, there are uh, our stakeholders from the student perspective side are very happy with our results. <laughs> <laughs> so, so within that though, we uh, of your many jobs, uh, one of them is to be the executive director of the center itself. So obviously you came to the center with a lot of experience in industry. Can you just talk about that for a minute? Because uh, I think it's interesting, your background and what you bring to the table. So you're right. I am, uh, as my as my title would, would give away, you know, my, my title is professor of practice, which I somewhat tongue in cheek say it means that I have more experience than I have education. My uh, last role that I held, um, and I, I do have more than 25 years of experience in supply chain and operations uh, globally. Uh, was as the senior vice president of global supply chain for Standard Textile Company. Many of those listening to this podcast may never have heard of the company, 
But the, the last two companies I worked for and all of my experience in supply chain were with Standard as well as with American Tool Companies. And I always tongue in cheek tell everyone that you don't know it, but you have been my customer for 25 years. And the reason for that is uh, American Tool Companies, their flagship brand, brand is uh, vice grip locking pliers. And everyone I've ever met has a pair of vice grip locking pliers in their toolbox. That's and that right. was only one of one of 53 brands that we made. And the other company, Standard Textile, where I had a little bit longer of career and, and my most recent experience is the world's largest provider of textiles in the institutional business, which is healthcare and hospitality. Now, I, I always say it the same way. I hope you haven't been in a hospital lately or a doctor's office. You probably were in a hotel, maybe not recently, but the uh, the textiles that were in, in, your, in your hospital, in your doctor's office were more than likely produced by Standard Textile. It's the world's largest provider. So I, I rarely, if ever, run into people who were not a, a direct or indirect customer. Um, so that's my background. As I mentioned, I was the senior VP of global supply chain, so my experience is broad. It's not widely known, but my title as senior VP of global supply chain uh, does date back uh, today would be over 20 years. And I mentioned earlier about the creation of the name of supply chain. So I was actually one of the first supply chain executives in, in the United States. And that's because our, our board and our senior leadership was forward thinking enough to recognize that supply chain was going to be a real thing. And we're willing to take a bet on me that I was going to be able to do that job effectively. And I think, I, I think my track record speaks for itself. As it relates to the center, a little bit of history there. So the center was originally founded in 1989. So we're in our 32nd year, gone into our 33rd year by uh, two people who you would know very well, Dr. John Coyle and Dr. Skip Grenoble. So uh, John was the original founder and the original executive director of the center and a mentor to both you and myself. Yes. And, uh, and Skip, his successor, my predecessor, I got to know through the center through the same, in the same way that any of our corporate sponsors get to know me, right? So interacting through the various business activities at the center. It was originally called the Center for the Study of Business Logistics, but when the department changed its name, the center changed its name. So we went from business logistics to a broader application of supply chain management. And it's interesting to note that the center was one, uh, along with uh, another small group of academics uh, nationally, was part of the original creation of the SCORE model, uh, which everyone is familiar with, right? But the center was founded on, on the principle that, um, like a lot of centers and institutes, it's an outreach arm for the university connecting the uh, academic activities uh, with the industry activities. And so we, um, we are the outreach arm for our department. We connect with industries, uh, both public and private, uh, as well as government agencies, uh, and literally all over the world to bring in um, thought leadership and connections with industry that helps, of course, in recruiting our students as well, uh, as well as provide the thought leadership that the university has to industry in what the latest and greatest research is in supply chain management. And so that's, uh, that's a little bit of the history. Um, we have grown over the years. You look at other research centers and institutes in, um, in the United States in particular. I'm less familiar outside the United States. We are uh, one of the largest, if not the largest, by corporate sponsorship in terms of raw numbers. We're in the top three or four in terms of um, uh, business activities. We're, we're well, well recognized in that space, both in terms of our research and our corporate engagement and our, our events. So um, in all the metrics that you want to have, um, I think we're pretty well represented. How does a person or an organization join or belong to the CSCR? 
Well, we have three groups of stakeholders. So we've got uh, the faculty here at Penn State, as well as elsewhere. Not all of our faculty that engage with this with the center are Penn State faculty, which is which is something that probably uh, people maybe don't don't know that well. So faculty is one of our group of stakeholders. Of course, the college and university administration, us being one of more than I think three hundred centers and institutes here at Penn State. So they have a vested interest in what we do, uh, particularly the, the vice president of research, Dr. Dr. Weiss, and then our industry partners. So they are another key group of stakeholders. So each of those engages with us in a different way. And then last, but certainly not least important are our students, right? So our students engage with us as well. So um, I think for this audience, I'm not going to talk about the students except to say that they they leverage the center to engage with our corporate sponsors from a recruiting perspective. So finding co-op internship and full-time employment. Our industry partner and the faculty engage with us uh, both in research as well as in uh, engaging with the corporate sponsors in presenting their research and thought leadership information and white papers and other things out there. So pushing out that academic knowledge. Our industry partners engage with us uh, by coming here to recruit our students for, for co-op full-time and internship opportunities, uh, to participate in the classroom, to work on curriculum development. Um, we have an external advisory board that is made up of our corporate sponsor base that helps direct the activities of the center as well as of the curriculum and the department. And then, of course, we have all of our events where they participate uh Either as you know, listeners or or engage or engaging in uh, in dialogue with their peers on timely and relevant topics. So um, now, uh, our corporate sponsor base uh, only makes up uh, perhaps thirty uh, percent of our of our corporate engagement, and the reason for that is a lot of what we do can also be accessed. Uh, I'll call it cafeteria style. So we have several hundred firms that recruit at Penn State for supply chain and information systems students. And in some cases, you know, they don't need uh, full-on engagement with the center and all the benefits and activities that we do in order to accomplish that one task. So um, in other cases, you know, we do research in a variety of different ways. And and sometimes we'll do research with companies and uh, they may be uh, transactional, right? So they only need us for that one time. Uh, for that one particular project, and and that happens as well. So you can do anything within the CSER value proposition with us as a one-off, but the corporate sponsors take full advantage of the the real value proposition, which is, you know, talent, knowledge, research, and networking. So that the sponsors are really leveraging the full benefits of the center to the best of their capabilities. So let's kind of take it down a little bit of, uh, at a time. I know on the research side. There's been a, a, a call that goes out to the sponsors, I think, uh, at the beginning of every uh, semester, um, asking if they have any interesting projects uh, for students to work on. It's a, a, a pretty exciting thing for the, for the corporate sponsors and the students to, to perform practical research. And, and can you tell a little, talk a little bit about that and, and how successful that's been and maybe an example of some interesting work being performed there? Yeah, it's been, uh, well, it's been highly successful. There are three different aspects of research that we work on. So um, you mentioned the student student one, so I'll talk about that first. Okay. Our student research portfolio, we have five different vehicles for organizations, both public and private, to engage with us, us on student research. 
all of our student research projects, whether they're individual students or groups of students, are done for a grade. Um, there is no money that changes hands. Uh, there's some maybe minor exceptions when we do things in conjunction with engineering and the learning factory, but but generally speaking, there's there's no expense to the to the firm um, unless they want to invest in in something like a, a data set or something like that. And so we do a call for projects on the student side twice a year in the spring and the fall. Uh, we then collect in those projects. We assemble individual or groups of students through one of the five vehicles that I mentioned. Um, and then we try to match up a student and his or her research interests along with their experience with a firm, uh, either individually or in group, to accomplish that research, either in the course of a single semester or over the course of a year. All of our uh, student research projects are project managed. So we have a project manager who, who handles that, makes sure that they have uh, definitive scope and scale and timelines and deliverables and all the appropriate things that you'd want to have. Um, all of them are faculty supervised. Um, and uh, the faculty, of course, awards the grade depending upon which type of, of course that, that it applies to. The thing that's interesting about, and you talk about success, is that our student research portfolio, or what, what we call collectively at the college, uh, learning engagement or active learning, we do more student research projects with more students in our unit in our department than the rest of the college combined. Now, that's not to disparage the other departments. It's just that um, we've done it for so long and have such a, a well-oiled machine system for doing it. Um, I mean, in a good year, we can do 60 student research projects involving 120 20 students, which in, in a lot of cases is more students doing research projects than other universities have in, in their entirety in their supply chain department. So uh, that kind of gives you an idea of scale. Um, and so that's one aspect of it. The other two aspects that we do are faculty-focused research. So this is a faculty member or members, usually it's groups of faculty, working on a particular research topic uh, that was either brought up by uh, a corporate or public uh, or private agency, um, or it's something that they found uh, as a as a compelling research topic, and they need a connection with industry or with the with the the government agencies to get the data and insights on how to research that topic. Those are done all the time. Uh, many of my colleagues would have achieved tenure through the research that they've done with industry. It is a keen focus for our PhD program as well as for our tenure track faculty. That's how they get evaluated. And our job here is to make those connections between industry and government agencies and our faculty um, and to bring them interesting research topics and to bring our faculty to companies who have a need for their uh, research. So we do that. The third one is, uh, is more practitioner focused. This is where I, I spend a lot of my personal time is finding research topics that are solving real world problems and then publishing that information either in a public or private way. Uh, trying to solve real-world problems, um, and and some of the problems that we've addressed is you know infrastructure around the Drug Supply Chain Security Act, uh, looking at logistics uh, on for well site management in um, in the frac sites in in Western Pennsylvania. Um, we've looked at uh, other types of of problems. Uh, I've got a couple ongoing right now, looking at just in time medical logistics. Uh, so 
you know, these are solving real world problems. And we try to get that stuff published in either trade journals uh, or professional journals or directly to the company. The one I mentioned about the Drug Supply Chain Security Act, we actually published to the FDA and it had an impact on how that rollout is going. So um, those are the three different corners of the triangle, if you will, on research. All of them are important. Um, they all inter interlap in some way. And that's the research portfolio in a nutshell. Thanks, Steve. I, I think it's great that uh, the research is so available and the practical side of it helps everyone. I know from the sponsor's perspective, um, if there's research needs that we have, we always seem to come back to you and, and we seem to get very, very good response and, and uh, high quality results. Well, I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't add that um, the vast majority of our, our research, I'd say probably published within the fa past five years on the practitioner and the, and the academic side is available on our website under the CSCR research portal. And it's uh, it's a searchable database and you can access the research there. You can also connect directly with the researcher through that portal. So that's uh, that's an interesting feature of that. But that's, is that available for sponsors only in this case? No, it's right? actually in the public domain. Nope. Uh, nope. You can, you can go to our website and find it. Um, and, uh, it'll give you a good indication of the kind of amazing research that's done here at Penn state. Excellent. So if kind of shift gears a little bit, I know that you've got one of your jobs is regarding executive education. I know we folded in some of the executive education and, and knowledge and, and, uh, I think we were calling the supply chain Academy. Is that correct? How does that all work in the context of CSCR? Yeah. So the knowledge quadrant of our value proposition Again, this this goes back to the early days of the center, right? So one of the one of the ways in which uh, the Center for Study Business Logistics and later Center for Supply Chain Research engage with industry is creating access to non-credit educational opportunities. The vast majority of what we do, Irv, is for um, government agencies uh, and or private corporations where we're educating cohorts of their in individuals um, on a particular supply chain topic. Um, it could be procurement, it could be strategy, it could be, I, I mentioned earlier, agility. You know, there's a lot of uh, different things that companies are interested in and they seek us out for education. In the public space where we have our open enrollment programs, where you can sign up as an individual, we have uh, a suite of courses uh, there are 12 of them in total, uh, and they uh, they roll up to a, a stacked credential series of uh, certificates around different supply chain expertises. So broadly speaking, they're around uh, technical, tactical, and strategic focus. So we have a, a, a one in management, we have one in, in leadership, and another one in operations. The, uh, the education portfolio, the open enrollment portfolio is available to the general public and it's offered uh, at a cadence of typically a typical course. I mentioned those 12 are off offered either once or twice a year or sometimes more often if we have larger enrollment. We also have a curriculum under uh, our relationship with Corp U, which is our learning platform for custom uh, organizational blended learning. Um, and I won't go into the details of what that means, but the Supply Chain Academy probably has today. 25-ish courses uh, in that. Um, those are building blocks to particular expertises in supply chain management. We deliver those, again, to um, primarily to corporations and government agencies all around the world. Um, really successful program. It's been around since 2014. 
Um, and then of course we've got all the custom work that we do. So to give you an idea of scale, in the la our, our fiscal year runs June to July, and last year we had in excess of 7,000 participants in our not-for-credit education. Um, wow. And by participant, I mean a single individual taking a single course. Now, I, I can't say that that was 7,000 individuals. That would be a misnomer because a number of individuals take more than one course. But in terms of a person taking a course, uh, that's a real number, right? So it's a fairly large part of our non-credit education unit, which is Penn State Executive Programs, but they also provide courses in finance and leadership and strategy and and other things besides supply chain management. They are interrelated because those courses do complement one another, but supply chain is, is our biggest part of the portfolio. Well, that's great. So just to keep the ball moving on the value proposition, so I talk a little bit about talent and uh, I know we have a, a twice a year where there's a career fair that uh, is held in the university. I'm sure that's, that's gone virtual it's this gone virtual, year but yeah. for the most part. Yeah. So, so tell us how that works a little bit for just spend a minute on that. If you don't yeah, mind. So 18 years ago um, at the behest of our corporate sponsors. So the, the members of the, the then center for business logistics uh, said, Hey, you know, what would be good here is if we could uh, have our own career fair, because we, we like to come to Penn state and we love to recruit your students, but we, we really are just looking for business logistics, supply chain, uh, management information systems majors. Could we have our own career fair? So the very first one was held on an, a week evening. Uh, it was a couple hours long. Eight companies attended. Um, it was widely criticized at the university. And today it is widely copied. So, you know, what's the uh, what's the saying? Uh, the best form of flattery is mimicry. Um, yeah. So it is widely copied. Uh, today, it is the um, second largest career fair, uh, and we have one in the fall, one in the spring, outside of the main career fair for Penn State University that's held, held at the BJC. Um, we will typically have well over 115 companies attend in the fall, and typically more than 95 attend in the spring, and not all of them are the same. So collectively, about 200 companies come to Penn State to recruit our SENIS students. It had traditionally been held in person, but because of COVID-19, um, I'm proud to say that we were the first academic unit at Penn State to hold a virtual career fair. We had almost 100 companies attend over the three days that we held it in the fall. Uh, it went swimmingly well. There were some hiccups, but, but by and large, the feedback from both the students and the recruiters was excellent. And we had over 5,000 recruiter student interactions over that three days, which is a record. So um, next one's coming up in, here in February in That's the spring. Right. But uh, yeah, it's something that we're really proud of. And our placement rates are extraordinarily high in our major um, and within the college. And our recruiters are happy and our students are happy. So I think it works pretty well. Yeah. Oftentimes you, when we, you come to campus and you're recruiting a student, you find out they may have one, two, three internships before they've even looking for their permanent job. So they've come in with a good balance of experience before they even start. Yeah, more than 93% of our graduating seniors have had at least one co-op or internship during their time at Penn State. Well, that's great. And I, I want to kind of close on one item, one value proposition, which is networking. As, as someone myself can attest, it's a very uh, close-knit community amongst the sponsors. I would say li lifelong relationships that you, professional relationships that you build. Um, that's facilitated by uh, events mostly. So there's, uh, I know we have the the uh, leaders forums and 
corporate sponsors events. So um, can you just take take a minute and discuss those? And we'll talk about the upcoming uh, Leaders Forum here in a few minutes, but yeah. Well, seven years ago, it was, uh, and I, I would say an exclusively in-person experience. But over the years, that has morphed into a mixture of in-person and virtual experiences. Um, we do have five, I'll call them open formal events a year. We have two corporate sponsors meetings, two leaders forums, supply chain leaders forums, and then a talent symposium. We also participate in about a half a dozen other industry-related forums, so conferences like, you know, CSCMP or AASCM or ISM, as well as other some smaller ones like Parcel Forum, where we're either um, a speaker or part of the planning committees or, or things like that. Um, and then there's probably another smaller group of private uh, events that we do that are typically held either by trade associations or, or by uh, private private companies where we'll participate um, either as a facilitator or a speaker or, or things like that. Um, so those are our, those have traditionally been our in-person engagements. As I mentioned, as time has gone on, we're now much more in the virtual space. So we hold um, regular webinars and promote regular webinars, probably at a cadence of about one per month, either within the supply chain discipline or within our leadership and strategy discipline as well. Um, and now, of course, we're migrating into uh, the next gen. So we're starting up this podcast series. So you can engage with the center and with your peers and with other folks in a variety of different ways um, many times a month. Um, and we're really happy that that's the way it is. And I think the sponsors are happy with that, too. No, it's been great. I mean, especially we, there's been a big pivot that happened to the virtual space here over the last year, and it really helps uh, improve access to, you know, to, to your fellow professionals. So it's been excellent. A brain teaser question for you is, you know, if you think about it, I just remember when I graduated college, my dad asked me if I was going to drive a truck. And... <laughs> And now to where supply chain is has come to, you know, I think it was the the we love logistics of the of the the advertising campaigns of uh, of UPS back in the day that helped move logistics is a, a definition that somebody would ask you. You tell people what you did in logistics, and but now it's become kind of moved. It's moved a lot more prominent, and in the last year it's moved front and center if you think about it. Yeah. So it's whether it's been this this shortage of toilet paper, this e commerce explosion that you know has just been a massive over the last year and now the rollout of coronavirus uh vaccines we're just living in a world where there's you know if you believe in the living in a world where there's no such thing as bad pr right what what is it meant to the supply chain as a career and field of study what's what are you seeing right now as far as um excitement going and and buzz around supply chain well as we talked about supply chain is a relatively new field right i mean it's less than 25 years old from a professional perspective, the first supply chain degrees um, at the undergraduate level were conveyed in 2002, right? Right. So, you know, um, it wasn't even a real thing 25 years ago. It was just a, a word on a page. So we've gone, and, and in terms of the business activity, we've gone from the back room to the boardroom, right? Many, many large multinational firms, Fortune 100 firms now have chief supply chain officers, right? So, you know, there's a table at the C-suite. 
um, that's a rapid change in less than 20 years, if you think about it. But even that being said, because it's relatively, you know, young field and a lot of the supply chain talent that's out there are not formally trained or educated. It's a lot of OJT. I'm a perfect example of that, right? So, you know, a lot of a lot of the field has a, a still a lot to grow from. And when you talk about public knowledge of what supply chain is or means, it's still widely misconstrued, right? So I don't think people fully understand the scope and scale, except when it doesn't work. When it right? doesn't work, right, exactly. You know, I my one of my colleagues has a great saying. He says, when you come home at night and you flip the lights on, do you call the electric company to thank them for the power being on? <laughs> no, you don't, right? You just expect it to happen, right? When you order, when you go to the store and expect to buy something, you expect the store to have it there. You don't care how it got there. You really don't, right? It's, Nor do you I, want to know. I used to tell Steve, Steve. I used to tell the story about uh, Cinderella's castle at Disney World. You know, whatever asks how Cinderella gets to her castle, but there's a whole labyrinth to make it happen. It's basically kind of how supply chain works. No one, no one cares about how the sausage is made. Just, just get no. it done, right? No, we like to go no. to the magic show, but we don't really know how the tricks are performed. That's right. But it is a, it is a, people are learning not just um, what it is, but how important it is, right? Uh, you you mentioned about there's no such thing as bad PR. Well, we have gotten certainly a lot more prominent PR in terms of, hey, those those supply chain women and men are important, but I think it's also exposed some of the shortcomings out there that um, particularly in, in, in certain industries where it needs to be better. Yeah. The investment needs to, the needs yeah. to really come to be, be brought to bear to actually deliver a great result. Yeah. Yeah. So, so all of that is true. Um, you know, what has, what has COVID-19 and 2020 meant to supply chain yet? Yeah, it's, it's gotten us some, some good and bad press, but it's also probably in my opinion, created a, a whole new generation of people who now realize it's out there, they realize that it's important. And maybe, you know, there are young women and men who never even thought about it, who are now thinking about making it their professional careers. And so in that perspective, the more talent you can bring into a profession, you know, all ships rise with the tide, right? So that that's a that's a great news story, I think. Thanks, Steve. I guess it's time for us to end the podcast. I just want to kind of thank you, Steve, for your time today. I want to talk about our next podcast, which we'll talk about in February. It'll be a lead up to the Supply Chains Leaders Forum. The forum itself is on the 25th. We'll do it prior to the 25th. But remind me, what's the what's the Leaders Forum? The Leaders Forum topic is supply chain agility, and we'll have some. Uh... Some great speakers talking about their journey uh, towards supply chain agility. We'll also be talking about the research and the uh, the theory and practice out there from an academic perspective and what supply chain agility really means and are some of the things that you need to think about in terms of being an, a more agile supply chain. So it'll be a great forum and it's very timely. Right, well, thank you, Steve. And uh, thank, thank those who are listening today and please uh, give us your feedback. We'd like to hear back from you. Um, again, this is the Penn State Supply Chain Podcast. Uh, this will be our first episode of many. Thanks a lot. Join us on our next podcast. We'll preview the CSCR Supply Chain Leaders Forum. If you're interested in joining the CSCR podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at smeal.psu.edu forward slash CSCR or to our producer, Michael Hicks.
Thanks for listening to the Penn State Supply Chain Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Supply Chain Research at Penn State. For information about our sponsorship opportunities, research needs, and professional development offerings, please visit smeal.psu.edu forward slash CSCR.